When I'm writing nonfiction, that's the first thing I know is the ending. So I, I know where I'm going. Like I know the last line. I know how I want it to end. That's how I have a kind of, you know, roadmap to getting there. Um, but when I'm writing fiction, that's really not often the case. Um, and I think it's like a body sensation. Like you feel probably for you guys, like in the same way, like if you're on stage and you can feel if the crowd is with you, you can feel if a joke landed, Mm -hmm. you can feel the resonance in like the rhythm of a last line. If it, Mm. if it, if it landed, if it hits. You're listening to Stories But Shorter. I'm your host, Cassie Jerkins. Today we have on Agatha French. My name's Agatha French, um, and I'm going to read a story called Stages. The picture he took of me was all breast. I'm looking into the camera unsmiling, but my face is an afterthought, like a hat for the real face of the picture, a smile in profile, the crease of my tit. The photographs of the other women follow mine, snaking their way around the white walls of the gallery. We're in public stages of undress, the kind that make us look like we need undressing. Some of us wear clothing. Some of us wear just our underwear or stand with our arms folded across our chests. Still more of us are in the final stage of undress, the one without any dressing, and we're nothing but tan lines around our manicured bushes, the lighter skin of our private parts, like highlighter for what you're supposed to see. All of us wear our face hats. One woman wears a real hat, which is really too much, I think. I recognize a few of the women from the photographs milling around, nibbling the free cheese, and I know they recognize me, but not from my picture. I came here with Lee, who took the photographs. We've been living together since the day we met at the cafe where I was eating a cookie. The moment I looked up from sweeping crumbs off the table, he was there, just smiling at me. You try to hide, he said, but I see you. You're something to see. I didn't know what he was talking about, but it gave me a feeling along my neck and in my groin. Then he showed me a photo he'd taken a second earlier of me sweeping crumbs, unaware. A long hair from my head was stuck to the licked wet center of my bottom lip. It was indecent how I looked to him. Oh, I said to the photograph, and gave up my apartment a month later. It's crowded, and everybody wants to shake hands with Lee, especially the people who aren't going to buy anything. So I make my way around the gallery a few times like I'm skating an ice rink and try to look like I'm looking really hard at everything. I notice the other women with portraits are trying not to look at their own picture for too long or for longer than the others, like their own pictures weren't their real reason for coming. I notice this because I do it too and I feel sorry for the group of us having to look at photographs of each other when really we just want a long, quiet hour to look at ourselves and see if we've missed anything like the camera might have kicked down the door on a self we've been waiting to see. I go back to the photograph of myself, but another woman is pretending to look at it, and I don't want to share my view of myself with her. There's only room for the two of us, me and my picture. It doesn't have a red dot next to it like some of the others. I am disappointed and relieved. When it's finally time for the gallery to close, Lee wants to go for a margarita. 
Other people want to join, but Lee says no. He just wants to let the evening sink in and relax alone for a while. But he puts his arm around me so that it's obvious we're leaving together. I watch the other women leave with their own dates or with no one. I see the woman who wore a hat in her picture reach into her purse and put the same hat on. It looks good now that she's wearing a sweater. It's a nice night, so we walk to the place that makes the best margaritas. We pass some other galleries with abstract paintings so gigantic there isn't room for me to have any thoughts other than ones about how gigantic they are. Lee's amped up from having people smile at him for the past few hours, receiving that many continuous smiles not being a natural human state. We're holding hands, so when he stops suddenly, it yanks my arm back. I look where Lee's looking, and there in an alley is the white glow of a man's haunches and ass. But for a second, I'm not able to find the meaning of haunches or ass, because they're not supposed to be there. It doesn't seem like he's supposed to be on his knees, in the second stage of undress, unsteadily guiding his dick into the girl in front of him, whose face I can't see, because it's turned away and pressed against the concrete. Their hair and clothes are dirty. My insides are replaced with something awful, and I feel that if I want my own body back, I have to look away. I'm going to call someone, I say. I don't know if they're all right, but I do know they aren't. What I really mean is that there are stages of how not all right they may be, and I cannot, from my place of not looking at them, discern which stage they might be occupying. There's the not all right of gravel biting into knees, of the desperation to fuck anywhere because there is nowhere soft and warm to fuck. There is the not all right of not really knowing what's happening because the unsteadiness of his dick looked particularly unsteady, like trying to get your key into a keyhole, and because concrete is no place for a face to rest like that. There's the not all right of the possibility that he is more all right than she is. I look around for other people on the street. I don't know if they're all right, I say again, but this time Lee says they're fine. I'm not looking, but I see his camera flash in their direction, and it makes the image of the man's white ass covering the girl in front of him flash into my mind again. The familiarity of her posture takes on an animal foreignness. It's all right, Lee says, but I don't think so. I think the picture he just took marks the second phase of me beginning to leave him because it turned all the other pictures that came before, the ones in the gallery, into the first. That's what I was looking for in my portrait, but hadn't been able to see. The missing secret self is the one who's going to walk away. I wonder if that's who Lee has seen from the beginning. The people fucking on the street and I are separated by a sidewalk, my clothes, nothing. I'm right next to them, and it's Lee that's far away which I can tell by just how desperately I'm reaching for him now. Not for the last time, or even the second to last, but one in a finite number of reaches. Yeah, so um, actually this piece, um, I had a um, one of my closest friends um, who I've known since I was in college, actually, mm-hmm. we went to Emerson together. We were in um, the undergraduate writing program there. Um, she's now, her name is Chloe Cooper Jones. She's a wonderful sports writer now, mostly for GQ and Esquire. And at the time, this was a few years ago, um, she was a guest editor at a literary magazine um, out of Brooklyn called Gigantic. 
and she wrote to me and said, Hey, you know, I'd love to, I'd love, you know, do you have anything? Um, and I said, God, you know, I don't really have anything that I'm really excited about, but I do have this idea, um, about, um, you know, sort of looking at, um, kind of the male gaze from, um, the perspective of feeling complicit in it. Mm. Um, and I think I want to write something about that. You know, here's kind of the general, this is the image that I see. I see, you know, two people, um, coming upon two other people. Um, and, uh, what do you think? And she said, yeah, that sounds really cool. Why don't you try that? Um, so I wrote that and, and we worked it through together for, you know, a number of drafts and, and that's how it came about. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it came, so the idea was the street scene and then yeah, working it, was, it you, mm-hmm. uh, added on like the art gallery. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the, it really just started with an image, um, which was, um, you know, the idea of, coming up, you know, just the image of, of two people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, essentially having sex in an alley and what, you know, what, what would it mean to, um, sort of, um, take advantage of that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, the sort of question of, um, you know, that feeling wrong to Mm -hmm. the narrator. Yeah. Um, and also realizing that, um, you know, in this story, um, she, I think she realizes at the end there that, um, that she, that she, that she does think that's wrong and that there's a way that sort of these other photographs that she's been a part of are kind of on a continuum of taking advantage of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Her question is, um, is sort of, um, you know, who, who else in that scenario might not have consent you know I think right. that she, she she's wondering you know are they are they really fucked up are they mm-hmm. you know what I mean is that is that woman too fucked up to know what's happening right now yeah um and she doesn't you know she doesn't actually do anything yeah um you know she's complicit mm-hmm. in in sort of walking away from this right um and that was important to me too that you know this isn't um you know this is a story I, I, that I hope has some complexity there where like yeah she doesn't entirely do the right thing right yeah. Yeah. And it even ends with her reaching out for him again and being like, and this isn't the last time. Like, so maybe in the right. future she would be stronger enough to like. Right. Yeah. And I, th- I think, yeah, that's that. Um, I, I When I got to that line of, of sort of the idea of um, it took myself and, and my friend and editor, Chloe, a couple um you know, drafts to kind of work that through, but that, that, and that last line felt really important to us mm-hmm. that she was still going to reach for him. And she knew, she knew that she had to leave him, but like she, she just wasn't going to yet. Yeah. And that's sort of, you know, that's, she's disappointing herself. Right. Yeah. And it does make me think of like, like just statues of limitation and how like that's kind of a debate now where like people do, you know, particularly women find themselves in situations where they're like, I need to leave or I know what happened to me was wrong, but I'm yeah. like right. choosing to run from it or I'm still like sure. confused about it. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I mean, I, I, absolutely. I think that's, mm-hmm. a, and those are questions that like, frankly, like I didn't ask myself in my, mm-hmm. in my early twenties. Like I'm a little bit older, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in my mid to late thirties now. And like, you know, it didn't even occur to me yeah um in my 20s that I could even that I would even ask those questions mm-hmm. of myself right um and like and I should add that the idea of of photography being a part of this um was important to me um because I've thought a lot about that I've thought a lot about the 
um, you know, th- you know, throughout my 20, you know, you, you, you know, you live in Los Angeles, you end up dating photographers, my, you know, it yeah. happens. And, um, I, I, yeah, I know? think it's very and, common for yeah. like women, like fresh out of high school. Like, you know, I feel like if you ran a poll right. for like women right. in their thirties and forties, yeah. be like, who has a picture of like, who, right. yeah. Who yeah. had pictures taken? I should say, in a just in case, you'll probably end up editing this out, but I should say that, like, my current partner's a photographer, but not this kind. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but no, I th- I've thought a lot about that because I think that, that yeah, especially, especially when I was younger, um, in, in my mid 20s, um, I would, I would not have been able to articulate this, but I was aware that, um, that, that, that a man with a camera Mm -hmm. had, had the power to, to decide how I was going to be perceived. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that was innately attractive because, um, you know, it was, it, it was something that I couldn't do for myself. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I don't think it's like, um, like a black and white thing. Mm -hmm. Like I have friends that do like burlesque and stuff and they like, they love that power they get. Right. And there is something of like, yeah, like exploring your own sexuality and yes. your body and being like, oh, this is would be a cool thing to do. But yeah, the minute it's like a, the wrong person with the camera, it could. Yeah, certainly. Like the last thing I want to do with that story is like sort of, you know, uh, teach somebody a lesson or something. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I'm not here to I'm not like the morality police. Yeah. Um, you know, if and you know, again, like if somebody wanted to, I don't know, have sex on the street, I think that's probably illegal. But like, what else? <laughs> like, it's none of my business. Yeah. Um, however, in this context, um, you know, she couldn't tell you know, she, she had the sense that there was something wrong, that there yeah. was something not okay with it. Mm-hmm. And then of course, um, Lee, the photographer takes a picture, which, which casts the show that she's been in, in this other light she feels mm-hmm. taken advantage of. Yeah. This is a story called Back Then. On Sundays, we ate at the taco truck in the Vons parking lot, took the free tortilla chips and put them over our eyes like spa cucumbers. I need my beauty rest, we said. Cherries hung from our ears like rubies and raspberries stuck to our fingertips, making us monsters until we ate them off again. An orange wedge was a boxer's mouth guard puffed rice cereal pressed against eye teeth stood in for fangs. You do it, we said to the grown-ups, our mothers and fathers and siblings and cousins, home from work or new marriages or college or war. And some of them would. They'd hold an Oreo like a monocle in the socket of their eye. But soon enough, they'd let it fall and let us eat it because we were always hungry for something they had touched. It's odd how some people lose like what it was like to be a kid. Mm-hmm. And you see like that awkwardness, like in some adults that are just like unable to connect with kids and like, will like patronize them. Cause they're like, I don't know how to play along. Sure. Um, so I just like love that. Like with the adults, like some would play and yeah. like, but then it would be like, then it would drop or, you know, right. Right. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just curious, like, sure, your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I certainly was trying to um, like capture a certain feeling of childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I sort of wrote this particular story for my siblings. I have a sister and a brother. Um, and you know, we did, we did that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I still do that stuff with my nephew. I'll, you know, you, you put the, you know, raspberries on your fingertips. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> um, but I, I particularly, um, was trying to capture the feeling, um, uh, when you're a kid of like l- sort of a feeling of longing, mm-hmm. like there was, I mean, I certainly have tremendous feelings of longing as an adult also, mm-hmm. but there's a way when you're a kid, um, that you that you sort of either long to be a grown up or be with mm. the grown ups or for them to acknowledge you and participate in your games, like you yeah. were saying, um, that uh, that just was really strong for me. I don't know, maybe because mm. I was the youngest. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, but I guess that that was kind of the um, the impetus or or you know what ended up coming out yeah. of this story is the feeling of longing that you have when you're a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I also feel for a lot of kids, like, adults are, like, these, like, automatic authority figures or, like, I don't know. Like, I always think about how a child now would probably think I was so old, even though I feel, like, pretty young in the long scheme of, like, our lifetime. But, oh, someone in their 20s, 30s, they're ancient. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, and then also, like, looking up to them and aspiring or being Mm -hmm. like, I can't wait to be an adult. That and also like, yeah, I can't wait to be an adult for sure. But also like the sort of untouchable quality, Mm -hmm. you know, like the kind of longing to, you know, nestle in to, you know, hang out with an adult. But but you don't you don't always get that. Or at least I I didn't always. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of it's intentional that that the that, you know, the only things that these kids get to touch of the adults in the story isn't them, but mm-hmm. just a sort of crumb that's fallen off of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think also, yeah, I think the fact that it is shorter means that there's more space around it, like both literary, literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. excuse me, there's more space around a short, short story. So um, like both physically, like on the page, but also in the idea that like there, there isn't every detail filled in. Yeah. You know, there's just, there's more of an yeah. open-ended quality. Um, but I've been, it's a, I'm really, really drawn to, um, to work that kind of teeters on the edge of, um, of prose and poetry, um, and, um, short stories that are like, you know, just, uh, condensed to the point of you know practically disappearing um you know like a like a Lydia Davis short story maybe you know that some some of those are just just one sentence long and I often find those to be um some of just like the most moving works like you said I can kind of sit there and think about them for a really long time this is a short story called next year After she bought the house, there was a month of newness, of fresh, invigorating possibility, the feeling of yes, why had she ever doubted it? It is possible to begin again. She spackled the cracked corner of the clawfoot tub and hooked her dangling earrings between the yarns of a crocheted wall hanging by the bed. 
She placed an antique blue enameled ladle on a windowsill, alphabetized the bookshelves, and felt breathless at each new gesture that proclaimed that this, finally, was the way to live, to make living livable. Decorative, organized, everything would be beautiful, everything would have its place. She drank wine now from the good crystal glasses, which she kept threateningly close to the cupboard's ledge. But even after the house was settled, each object given its own private home within the greater home that housed her. The yard remained a dust bowl. Summer arrived, and its view of frazzled grass pressed in against the windows. She could have planted yucca or nasturtiums, cacti, rosemary, those plants that thrive anywhere and everywhere, tenacious and willfully ignorant of where they live. She could have, and yet she didn't. Surely this house, with its lonely perfection, would not be her last beginning. The dry dirt yard left room always for improvement. With a little work, her evenings could be scented by night-blooming jasmine. She could butter bowls of fresh-picked, pink-stemmed rainbow chard. Next year, maybe, she would throw a packet of California poppy seeds over the yard, a spray-like scattershot that once rooted would engulf the house in flames. Uh, yeah, what, is there, was there a specific imagery that, like, inspired that piece? Yeah, yeah, actually, my house, that's sort of a, that's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a very, uh, that's, that story sort of, I guess, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a short story, but, mm. um, feels quite personal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I did move into, um, a, ho- a house, this was probably seven years ago, um, and I had this sense of, um, of, almost the pressure of arrival, you know, Mm. it was like, you know, this is my house. This is the one that's going to make it happen. You know, this is the place where I'm going to become myself. You know, life starts now. Um, and yet never really, and still I, I, you know, to this day, um, I never really feel that way. Truly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I always feel like, um, life's going to start next year. Or, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's, I always have this sense of kind of, um, like taxiing on the runway a little bit. It's, it's, it's less now than it was probably when I was in my twenties, but, um, mm-hmm. but I do still feel it. So I had this, this house with this yard and, um, and I did sort of, you know, I was very precious about my house and where everything went. Um, and I just kind of, you know, I just look at this yard that I was doing nothing with, but mm-hmm. there was something about keeping the blank slate of it that made me feel like even though life wasn't right now, that blank slight slate of the yard meant that one day it could be. Um, at, but of course I didn't, you know, I never had that conscious thought mm-hmm. until I sat down to write this story and yeah. then, you know, worked out it, um, you know, through a number of drafts mm-hmm. and then sort of realized that, that that's what this was about and that's what that feeling is. Yeah. Anybody anybody else have that feeling ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel like that's why I, I was like, oh, we have to do this one. I felt like this is like very relatable. Yeah. I would... Stories But Shorter is produced by Jeremy Schmidt and hosted by me, Cassie Jurgens. 
campfire. <laughs>